Hey everyone, and a huge welcome to the Dedicate Podcast, the wellbeing podcast to help you to get the most out of your life. We discuss health, fitness, relationships, self-love and body image, mental health, motherhood and more. I'm Kate Ivey, your host, and first of all, I just want to say a massive, massive thank you for your incredible support so far of our podcast. Today, I'm talking to Married at First Sight star and Dedicate Ambassador, Kerry Knight. Kerry shares with us her journey from an everyday person to fame. She shares the challenges as well as her super inspiring strategies that enable her to live life to the fullest. Hi Kerry, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? Good, thank you for having me. Yeah, we've been chatting a wee bit before and it feels a bit awkward saying hi again, but hi again. <laughs> Hi again, don't worry, I'm, I've worked a bit in TV now, so I'm used to doing it again. What I'm really interested in talking to you about is so many people just watch the shows and they're critical and they just want to say whatever they want to say about people. But I look at it and go, wow, you have been on a major journey, like a life-changing experience. It's nuts. 100%. It so, is nuts. so what made you go on the show to start with? That's a good question. And it's one I get asked a lot because I guess when people have seen me on the show, I probably didn't fit the profile yep. for what the show's known for. Mm. So, and it's why my parents were probably so against me going on it, right? Yeah. So it's a lot of drama. It's a lot of cattiness and, and bitchiness and all the rest of it. And I guess I applied, I found myself in sort of a sliding doors moment in life where I was single again, I was 29 and in my head, I just survived something that I didn't know how I was going to get through. So I went through a divorce um, yeah. up here in Queensland and because of COVID and that, my family were away in Adelaide. Um, well, you know, it was before all the lockdowns and stuff, but we were still segregated and, you know, they're a bit older than, you know, and they didn't, I kind of kept them sheltered, right? So I went yeah. through something relatively on my own and came out still swinging and I thought, well, I'll just survive this. I'm yeah. single. I don't want to be single forever. And this opportunity came up and I thought, so I left my previous marriage because I felt very stuck and I felt like there's there's more to life than this. I know the value of life and I want to shake up. And I thought if this was an opportunity, if nothing else, to have an adventure and do something I'd, I'd tell my grandkids about. And, you know, and I knew I didn't fit the normal profile. So I thought I probably had a good shot at getting on there because they, I, to my knowledge, they hadn't had somebody like me on there before. Yeah. So I just went for it. It seems like they purposely put two or three couples together that match and then the rest they're like, right, we can chuck those together to create drama. They do not match. They will clash. They will create great TV. Were you nervous that you might be one of the ones that could potentially clash or just being a good person? And I mean, not saying the others aren't good people, but being not the typical, um, yeah. I guess, yeah. Were you worried about that? To a point, I was very honest throughout the whole audition process and I was very careful. So when they were asking me about what attributes I'd look for in a partner, it's my natural style anyway to talk about personality, but I made it a point to not half on about a physical attribute or something specific because I yeah. thought that might leave me open to getting the opposite, right? Yeah. So I talked about qualities and it was about, you know, good heart and kind person and good sense of humour and things like that. So, And I was very consistent 
because mm-hmm. I was honest, it was yeah. easy throughout the audition process, but um, very much telling them like what you see is what you get. And they sort of said to me towards the end of the audition process, you know, have you got any questions for us? I said, why do you want me? Why do you want me on this show? I'm not going to give you drama. I'm not going to get in there and grow another head. And they, they said, because we've gotten to know you authentically you, and you know, we, we haven't had anyone like you before. So I, I kind of had a, maybe a false sense of security when I was going in there that they, they weren't going to mess me over because they knew they weren't going to get what they wanted. If it was yeah. drama, they weren't going to get it. So. Yeah. So from you, they were going to be able to, if they could find someone compatible, um, you know, they were going to be able to get that element because people do want success. They, they want the drama, but they want to see the success as well. Right. I was cautiously optimistic, I think yeah. you call it. So what was it like going from an everyday person to suddenly being thrown in the limelight? Yeah, it was it was pretty surreal watching it and I had to sort of try and switch off from the emotional connection. So prior to being on the show, if I heard my voice play back, I'd be like, oh, like I hate hearing yeah. that. Or if I saw me tagged in a photo on social media that wasn't very flattering, it really like bothered me. And when I watched it back on TV, I almost, I I had to disconnect from it being attached to me. Like I had to, you know, accept that this was a, a character, I guess, that they yeah. had created for me on this show. Yeah. And so it wasn't easy though. Like when I first watched it in my very first episode, I didn't like the shorts I was wearing. I thought mm-hmm. oh, I should have worn something different or, um, you know, I didn't like my side profile, which had never bothered me before and things like that. But what I had to do was just accept this is me and whether I worry about it or I don't, it's out there now. Yeah. Right? So just take a breath and enjoy the ride and take the advice I'd give a friend watching themselves back on TV, which is this is never going to happen again. Yeah. And I don't want to look back think with only memories of it being super critical and negative. I was like, bugger it. It's done now. Let's do it. Let's, let's enjoy the ride. So you had to go through a lot of self-growth to get to that point. And I want to touch on a lot of that stuff later because I think, you know, we can all learn from from that. Yeah, talk me through, like, the first few days on the show. Like, was it scary? What was it like meeting the other contestants? Yeah, it was, it was really scary. I don't think I'd considered how large scale the production was until I got there, right? Like, I knew it was a big show. I knew it, I thought it was one of the biggest reality shows in Australia, right? Yeah. And then I got there, and at the wedding day, we got um, like married at um, a big like a polo club in Sydney. And I remember just this oval was lined with cars, like no car spots anywhere, and all these white tents. It looked like a festival. And when we got there, I was like, "Oh, what else is going on today?" Looking out of the limo, they're like, yeah. "No, this is all thousands of people." and tents everywhere and screens like control rooms everywhere. And then just everywhere I looked, there were cameras or people with earpieces and clipboards. And from the second I got there, I was just like, oh, this is- Like, what have I done almost? Like, what have I done? Like I expected (laughs) maybe like a couple of cameras and like a few people and maybe, you know, but this was like art teams with, you know, truckloads of flowers and stuff. And they had a, a camera up on a crane, like on a boom to get it. And wow. from the get-go, like you had to film the ceremony three times over. I've had no experience in TV. I've, I've never done anything like that. And I just, yeah, very overwhelming from the start. And thank God when Johnny turned around, I just saw this guy with a big face and a yeah. big smile on his face. Big face. <laughs> yeah. 
safe person. Like, yes. Oh, God, oh isn't easy. that so nice? So for anyone that doesn't know, um, you're still with Johnny, which is amazing. Yeah. And so what yeah. about for him? Was How did he end up being on the show? So he, very um, like different story to mine, but also was previously married. And then oh, wow, he yeah. got approached. So I applied to go on the show. He got approached. So yeah. he's in sort of the theatre and entertainment industry. And my understanding is he had a few sort of connections through there. There's a myth because he works as an actor in theatre. There's a myth going around that he was hired as an actor for Channel Oh, Nine. yes. We always hear those. Yeah. Right. It's not true. He's mm. like an actor can have real life too. So but I think through his connections, he was approached and he sort of did it because similar sort of situation, but he had his heart completely broken, right? So yeah. he went on there and I think through his breakup, there were a lot of things that he was told or made to believe about himself that he wanted to go on there and challenge. So, you know, awesome. he wanted to go out there and prove to himself that like he could be a great partner. He did have a lot going for him. I think in his heart being completely broken, his some of his, you know, soul went with that as well. And I think he had a point to prove to go on there and and sort of, you know, put his best foot forward and prove to himself like how much work he had, you know, and I think he really did himself justice. So So I wonder if they got you and then thought, right, we need to find someone really nice to go with Kerry or whether they had Johnny first and then they were like, yes, when you came on board, I wonder what the order was. Have you been told? Yeah, it was the latter. So what I'm told is that Johnny was meant to be partnered with somebody else. He was meant to be one of the originals. So we came in as intruders. So he was the poor bloke in Sydney for six weeks that he, that they started filming and his bride, like the partner who was meant to be dropped out at the last minute. And so he had to sit in Sydney for five or six weeks. And then I had seen like Daily Mail articles come out because I never really got an answer. It was going through auditions and they said, if we, you know, if you're successful, we'll come back to you. Yeah. By, I think it was like July. July came and went. I didn't hear anything either way. And then it got to September. And I saw these articles of like the girls and what they're wearing to the dinner party. It was like, oh, I didn't get off. Yeah. Like, That's all right. And then I got a call up and I had, they called me on a Monday night and I had to fly on a Saturday. So I had a couple of days Whoa. to get ready. I had to get a wedding dress. I had to get a tan, I had to get my hair done. I had to do handovers at work. Like it was one of the most stressful weeks of my life. But yeah, it was definitely the other way. So they found Johnny first and then yeah. they were, I think, scrambling to try and find someone. In there. How <laughs> perfect. Scraped the bottom of the barrel and came up with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, they hit the jackpot for sure. <laughs> yeah, was it nerve-wracking um, not knowing, like, if they were going to twist your words around? Yeah, I think that's what my parents' biggest fear was, right? And what I was confident in and why I ended up accepting and going on the show was I knew I couldn't control a lot what was going to happen around me, but I could control what came out of my mm-hmm. mouth. And I thought if I can just keep my wits about me and no matter which situation I'm in, I've got the pressure of not letting my parents and my friends down and I've got a high-end sort of corporate job and I had a lot of pressure from them. They were supportive of me going on the show, but it was very clear that if I brought their reputation into sort of disrepute, my job could be on the line, right? Fair enough, yeah. And so I had those sort of things, I guess you'd call them pressures, but they kept me really grounded. And so I was confident that, I could control what came out of my mouth. They weren't mm-hmm. going to animate me and, you know, dub my voice over yeah. things. Um, and so that's what I really clung to, just the things that I could control. 
because I've seen um, previous contestants, and I guess you would have learned from them, one of them, I'm not sure his last name is Sam, but he came out and said that his words were completely twisted and that they asked him questions basically to put the answers in his mouth. But like you say, he had to have actually said that. So I guess you just have to yeah. be a bit more, a bit onto it and know that they're going to set you up if the opportunity is there. So you You're just right. have to, yeah. And I see both sides of the fence. I was certainly put into positions where, and they're relentless. Producers are very good at what they do, right? Yeah. Especially when they work they're doing on their a job. show like that. Correct. But what they'll do is ask you the same question and reframe it maybe 10 different ways, but ask you it in succession, right? And when you've yeah. got a producer there who's getting a little bit antsy because you're not giving them what they want, you've got a camera in your face, you've got a sound person there, and you know you're on like borrowed time, and they are like really pushing you. If you're not confident in and you're not aware of what they're trying to do, it would be very easy. And I tell you what, when I was tired and same with Johnny, sometimes you just think, bugger it, should I give them what they want? So they go yeah. away. Like we do big long days. And so I understand where Sam's coming from, but the bugger is that he gave into it, right? Or that yeah. he they got him. They tripped him over. They got me once when I was talking about Bryce. They um they put the camera sort of like they were rearranging things and the producer looked like she was sort of shuffling around and she said, go on, what do you really think? I said, oh, look, I think you pull a shit. Yeah. And I didn't realise I was still filming. And then that they use that a lot in the promos and they use it because it's very different to what I would normally say. Yes. Usually very controlled. And I was like, oh, I saw that and they got me once. And the hard thing is, I mean, no, none of us are perfect. We all say mm -hmm. things from time to time and – you know, so it's almost inevitable. And so do you think they um, push you to tiredness on purpose? I mean, I've heard that they do that on some other shows. Definitely. They were very clever. Like, so I never realised, but say the dinner parties and the things where a lot of the drama kicked off, they're huge long days. So you get dressed up and they'll come to your hotel room at say nine or 10 o'clock in the morning to do the shots of you like getting ready for the dinner party. That's first thing in the morning. Then you're made to sit in your hotel room. You can't leave because there's paparazzi out the front of the hotel. And so you have to sit in your hotel room from nine until about three or four o'clock in the afternoon, right? In a, in a small hotel room. Yeah. Um, so you're already pretty irritable. It's been a long day sitting around doing nothing. And you're in heels and, and dresses you, that aren't very comfortable. And you just. Correct, because yeah. they mic you up. So you can't get undressed. You've got mics on and they need you to look the same as when they filmed you getting ready. So you can't mm -hmm. take your hair out and do it again because there's a chance that you won't get it right. And are you drinking up. at all? Like, what are you doing to pass the time? You don't want to drink too much. No, well, I'll, see, we were very careful. I think, like, some people could. They probably didn't encourage you to because it is such a long night, right? If I started drinking during the day, I'd be yeah. I'd be out by 7 p.m. I'd need a nap. It'd be great. It'd be really good TV. <laughs> right? So, but, yeah, I, they probably, like, they, they didn't give you alcohol, for instance, right? If you went and bought some and had it in the fridge, we had a beer. Like, I'm not going to, you know, we all have a beer or two, but we weren't sitting around, like, day drinking. Um, yeah. So you sort of just had to sit around and watch TV or, you know, look at your phone or something like that. So you're pretty irritable. You've got, for me, like the mic pack sat usually in the middle of my shoulder blade. So it's really uncomfortable. You couldn't really sleep or anything like that. Like you just, you had to sit around. So, and then they take you to the warehouse where you had to film. And then there was a lot more sitting around. So you usually didn't start filming until the sun went down. So in Sydney, it's sort of six, seven o'clock, probably eight o'clock, depending on what was going on. So you've already been dressed with your makeup and hair done. You can do touch-ups and that, but for probably 12 hours before wow. the cameras even go. Yeah. And then they don't ply you with alcohol. It's another myth like that, you know, you're plied constantly. But there's certainly like 
buckets, ice buckets around and alcohol freely available. And the thing is, most people are very polite. So if I got myself one, I'd pour somebody else one. So it's very hard to keep a, an eye on how much or limit what you were drinking, right? So yeah. And it's been such a long day and it's such a long time filming that you inevitably end up drinking a fair bit, you're tired. Yeah. And then that's usually, and then the next morning, they'll usually start filming pretty early and that's how they sort of get you. How many days in a row are you filming for? It's a good question. So um, most weekends we had off. So you could go and do like activities together with your partner. Um, but that wasn't always the case. It depended if there was drama building in the cast and like some crescendo of a story happening, they would keep filming going because they yep. wanted to catch the, the drama and, and everyone's sort of in that heightened stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it just, you sort of, you got an email to you the night before to tell you what your schedule looked like for the next day and you just had to go with it. It's a pretty major thing that you've been through and it's almost like the biggest personality test of all time. And then I think as well, this is why it amazes me too, because I sort of have a wee bit of an understanding of what it's like to put yourself out there. And Mm -hmm. it's definitely played with my mental health, having to constantly be on Instagram and constantly be yeah, putting myself in a situation that's not always comfortable I don't always want to do it and like self-promotion putting yourself out there all the time how hard was it for you really hard um I think so coming out and being on you know Instagram and going from when I went on to the show I had I think just cracked 500 followers yeah on my Instagram and what they mostly they're like mostly friends and friends of friends just my mates yeah Yeah. just my goose mates and my family like that was it right I had nobody else and then I came out to I don't even know near on 50,000 when they handed out Instagrams back and I was so intimidated at the start I didn't I didn't want to touch it I didn't know Mm. what to do I didn't know how to not offend everybody I just I didn't know and um we were pretty lucky in the early stages of coming like the show sort of airing we got picked up by management um, towards the end of it when things were sort of gearing up and um, they were really helpful in guidance and I felt I put a lot of trust in them um, to you know what should I do and how should I do it and it took a minute um, but I think something that my mum always sort of taught me was like you could be the juiciest ripest pinkest peach at the top of the tree and you'll still find a bastard who doesn't like peaches right? yeah. yeah so I thought now I've got thousands and thousands and thousands of people I'm never ever going to be able to please them all Mm -hmm. um and so I thought what I need to do is just authentically be myself yeah and and try my best and do my best not to offend anyone or upset anyone and just stay in my lane and 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 yeah just try my guts out and that's what I've done and yeah so far it's done me okay you're doing a great job because it's definitely hard you're saying there about um not trying to offend people but the thing is on certain topics as well if you if you don't have a personality, if you don't believe in something, if you don't take a stand and for something, then you're basically you're you're nothing. You're just in the middle, yep. just you know, yep. not catching anyone's attention. Not um, yeah. you know, people could can get confused for what you stand for. Yeah, definitely. I think it was really interesting at the start. So I was trying to establish for myself what what's my brand going to be like. What yeah. am I going to stand for? You know, and what am I proud to put my name to? And trying to keep that as authentic as I could to my character because it's got me this far, like thus far in life, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, just more so focusing on the people 
um, that are important to me and that I trust. So like, what would mum and dad think? What would my, the best mates I've had way before filming and that, what, what do they think? What does Johnny think, you know? And keeping those people as the filter or the lens that I would look at things before I hit post on social media. But it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely challenging. And like, I've had to do a lot of learning along the way. So I've kind of towed the line for the most part and then dipped into different bits and had very interesting responses. So I did a, um, a paid advertisement for a, a hair product, right? Mm-hmm. And in this hair product, I liked the photo. I was dolled up wearing a lot of makeup. I was pouting to the camera, you know, wearing pink. And I got trolled so hard for it. It's probably the one I worried least about posting because I thought oh, I like the way I look. It's a, a relatively, like I use the tongs I used them this morning. Mm-hmm. I think <laughs> I, I remember the picture, yeah. Right. I got trolled so hardcore for it. And what at first like it really stung right it took a lot of energy for me to sort of work through that like yeah so what sort of thing do people what sort of things do people write you're better than this this is not the girl we got to know like you you like it was like putting me in this box of like you can't wear my you can't piece and pound glue Mm -hmm. to the cat who are you this is it was like people felt that I'd been like false advertising. Now this was me. Yeah. And it was, you know, we've got people like this on this. This is not what we follow you for and the rest. And at the start, I was like, if I want to wear pink like today, yeah. I'm going to wear pink. And I yeah. had a real like new attitude to it. Like awesome. you've got to be kidding me. Why am I being shoved into this box, right? Um, yeah. And it was hard. Like that was a photo that I liked and a product that I used. So it was yeah. authentic. And I got absolutely railed for it, yeah. The hard thing about it is you have to work through so much personally based on what someone else has said that they would never say to your face. Exactly. You're doing something that makes you feel good. That is still a part of you. And how do you get the message across to everyone about who you actually are without offending yeah it's almost that's right and and also like saying that if I want to wake up and wear a black Harley Davidson t-shirt on one day because that's how I feel I freaking can and if Mm -hmm. I want to wear pink and heaps of makeup on another day I also can right yeah and yeah that's it took a lot of unpacking and thinking and researching and talking to people I trusted to understand why people felt comfortable or felt like vindicated like you know they they felt qualified to come and tell me that I couldn't Mm -hmm. do that well it's like you were saying it's that you're this character it's almost like you're not a real person isn't it exactly and so that's where I had to sort of shift and pivot to is okay let me cut the emotion from how I'm feeling about what Mm -hmm. these people have said because you're right no one would say that to my face firstly secondly I I don't know you from a bar of soap and you've only gotten to know a snippet of me and let me have a, let me stop being angry that that's what you've warmed to because that character that persona that you saw on TV kept me safe. Yeah. Right. It got me through to the and people seemingly have warmed to that part of my personality. And granted, I'm a multi-dimensional human. Yeah. Humans are complex. We've got lots of different facets to us. Yeah. That was the one that they, that, you know, maths chose to sort of amplify and put mm-hmm. forward. And thank goodness, because it's probably closest to my authentic character, right? Yeah. What you saw on TV. But I do have other elements and, and bits to me. 
it's just people haven't gotten to know that they've gotten yeah. to know that person on tv it's what they're comfortable with and it's why they've subscribed to continue on with the journey because that's the person they got to know yes so i stopped and- being mad at it right yeah. and i started to learn cut the emotion and start to learn from these trolls if i'm trying to market myself now on instagram and use the brand that i've created yeah right, and the persona i put out there then that's that's on me like and i can mm-hmm. with the, the brand and toe the line a little yeah but i know why people come to my page now right like i'm yeah. starting to learn about that and it's not like you have to change because that's like you said, ultimately who you are anyway. Correct. Yeah, they got to know me on there and that kept me safe there. And then what's I think is kind of interesting too is those that are completely doled up and doing kisses to the camera and um, all that type of thing all the time, if they were to do like a a photo where they weren't wearing much makeup or whatever, I wonder what the feedback on that would be. Whether I'd say some would love it, but then I bet you they would get trolled and called ugly and all sorts of things as well. Yeah, you can't win. But what I'm what I'm learning is that people, including me, I'm a consumer of Instagram, right? Yeah. I go to different people's pages for different things. I come yeah. to your page for inspiration on exercise, right? Yeah. And I love that I come there and you don't make me feel bad if I miss a workout. But suddenly if you put a post up of you completely doled up in I as a like I would be like, Kate, it's awesome, right? And not be but other people might come there and be like, I don't come to Kate's page for inspiration of what I should wear to town the next night, right? Or yeah. what shoes, high heels she's wearing, whatever. I come to Kate's page because I've subscribed for that for exercise inspiration. Mm-hmm. But in saying Not that, that I get the most engagement from me showing my everyday life. So me showing um, me showing me with my kids or me ah. actually on a night out and people are like, wow, cool. Like you actually have that element to relatable. Your, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think from it's it's tough. Like for me, it was like I thought if I take you back to that pink picture, right? Yeah. It was that people couldn't relate to it. It was like a totally different. I was in a pink room in a pink thing with makeup yeah. and all the rest of it. And I think that's where I pushed the boundary to the point where I stopped being that relatable person. Yeah, and probably not, not because of the show mm-hmm. you were on people's awareness of that was probably heightened. Like if I did that, maybe they'd obviously don't have the same followers as you do. But if I did that, people go, oh, well, that's quite cool. She's had a day in a studio. Whereas if you did that, it's like, oh, my gosh, we didn't see the real person. She's just like the others. Da, da, da. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's because that is the undertone of like, and there's a lot of hype around the edit of the show and the producers and you guys got the golden run, right? People say you got the golden edit. No, we worked really bloody hard for that. It is so hard when you're sitting there, lick it up with a huge fight going on. Sometimes, yeah, yeah, I did have some strong opinions there, right? But as in real life, if I saw people tearing shreds off each other at the dinner table, I wouldn't jump in and amplify it, right? Yeah. Like for me, I I got in trouble on the show by producers because I was pacifying the situation a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, saying to people, look, if you get to know her behind the scenes, like you'll change. I know that's how it looks because she's, you know, probably nervous and there's a lot going on. Give her a chance. She's a nice person. Carrie outside, I'm like, oh, Oh, really? So they would take you out and be like, no, this is no good. We don't want you here. They weren't like, you need to jump in the drama. They were like, just let it play out. Like, we know that's your nature. You're (laughs) saying you want everyone to love each other and get along and see the best in each other. So that's, yeah, I did get in trouble a fair bit for that. 
<laughs> Did you struggle with your mental health at all during this crazy journey, this roller coaster? Yeah, definitely. Um, when I was in the, when we were filming, there were so many, like, I, I don't think I realized my mental resilience until I was in there. And so I was very kind to myself and constantly reminding myself, like, you're, you're doing a good job. This is very surreal. It's really scary. And thank goodness though, I had a partner in Johnny because we were going through the same thing and we stuck together and we looked after each other. But yeah. I tell you what, like I've done a bit of reading since because, you know, I'm a health specialist myself. And so I like to understand sort of like, why did I do that? So in the thick of it, it's not only you've got the pressures of cameras and producers and you're thinking what what angle is the producer going to try and take me down here? They were they leave no stone unturned to try and see if there's any chinks in the armour between you and Johnny, between mm-hmm. me and Johnny, right? So they tried every angle they could to see if they could, you know, infiltrate some drama. some way, yeah. cause some drama between us. Yeah. So it's like the ultimate along. test, isn't it, of, a, mm-hmm. of how compatible you are? Yep, and they drop seeds where I'm like, did Johnny say that? Like, what? Like, I thought, we were, you know, well, hang on. And then I'd be like, no, understand, you know, remember what's going on here and stuff. Yeah. And he was the same. So you, you, you're guessing sort of what are the producers up to? Then you've got some pretty volatile castmates on there who mm-hmm. some of them, I think, came on with different agendas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're kind of worried, are they going to try and come after me or come after us because we're seemingly Switzerland here? Like, you know, and what's what's going to happen there? Um, you know, what have, the, what have they got planned for us next? So there was like a, a retreat where they all took us away and put us in like a big brother house, which, mm-hmm. again, that's really scary. They take your phones off you sometimes for days at a time. So lots of different pressures and constant pressures. Then also this is like superficial, but I'm being honest. It's, you know, what outfits am I going to wear? And I need yeah. to find shoes to match that dress and this jewelry. I got there and my wardrobe was not on par. Like these girls were wearing ball gowns and I remember the first time the first dress I wore I borrowed from a friend yeah the first for, to the dinner party um the jumpsuit I wore to the first commitment ceremony was four dollars from an op shop like <laughs> I and I was so out of my and I was looking around at these girls being like I'm so out of my league here I'm gonna look like a dag and so there was that pressure as well right mm-hmm. trying to like look good and you know and whatever everyone would feel that pressure I feel like that's any one right? of us I'm from the sunny coast. Like I knock around in a backwards cap and like shorts and thongs most days, right? Yeah. Like I got there and I was like, holy moly. Like these girls were renting dresses. They were getting makeup artists to come in sometimes to the hotel and get them sorted. Like I was putting my makeup on like sunscreen at that point. Yeah. I had no idea what the heck, like what was going on. So there was a lot of pressure and trying to like scramble and get up to speed when I was there. Yeah. Um and yes, it's, it's funny, like how you respond to it. So I started, I had to book, we had to book into the gym when we were there because you weren't allowed in there with another cast mate at the same time because you could talk off camera. And I made that like a, a religious thing. I'd take the the early morning, the earliest, earliest booking the hotel had, I'd take it every day. So even if I didn't finish filming till 3am, I was down at the gym at six. And wow. It was just whatever I, I gave myself the freedom to like, whatever you do is okay. If I went and walked on the treadmill at three speed and looked at my phone, at least I got up and at least I did something and it sort of set me, set the tone for my day. And then interestingly, Johnny and I found, and I've done research into it afterwards. So when you're really anxious, you go back to things that are predictable. So Johnny and I at our most anxious 
sort of times throughout filming, we would have Christmas carols on in the hotel room. They remind you of your childhood, they remind you of good times and they're predictable. You know what's coming, right? And both of us, so we play Christmas carols or Friends, the series Friends. Yes. We just oh. have it on. We've yeah. watched it a, a million times. You know the episodes inside out and they're predictable. And apparently that's like a trait or a, um, a strategy for like highly anxious individuals is that you'll turn to something like that because it's comfortable, you, it's predictable, and then it like brings you, it brings you joy, you know. It, it's crazy. And we did that. It makes total sense. Yeah. So the things that like were deliberate that I was doing, like the gym, and then things that I didn't realise that I was doing like you know, un, un, unconsciously or subconsciously, I guess. Yeah, well, it does. Well, that, that's really good advice to people that may be feeling a bit overwhelmed to um, do something that's... Right. You know Cold Chisel, the Aussie rock band? Cold Chisel was like, dad. my dad on a Saturday morning used to put that album on and clean the house to it. Yeah. And so at times when I'm like super anxious, I'd put Cold Chisel on because it just reminded me of dad. And I knew yeah. the album inside out. And yeah, so things like that, like... And I guess especially when your your brain must have just been on overdrive, you're saying all those challenges, all those things yeah. you're having to think about, man, it must have been tiring. Yeah, it was tough. And But I was trying to, in those moments of pressure, like take a step back and just congratulate myself and say you're doing great. Like yeah. the positive self-talk, the power of the mind is incredible. And that's what I was trying to do. Like getting down to the gym, even if I just walked or scrolled Instagram, I was like, Good job. You got yeah. out of bed. You're down here. You're doing your bit, and be kind to yourself. I ate what I wanted when I was filming as well, like which is hard because you're on camera and oh, uh, yeah. wearing tight dresses and stuff. And instead, I was like, if I start beating myself up about this as well as everything, else, I'm going to fail. And for me, the number one thing was controlling this, yeah. keeping my brain in the best state I could, which meant like giving myself freedom for a lot of the other stuff to just pass. Mm-hmm. You know. And I think that mindset about you doing your best and congratulating myself and that positive, I think then that trailed over to when it started airing Yeah. and now it's continued on for social media and whatnot. Amazing. So it sounds like you had so many of these strategies in your tool belt already. Had you um, been through, you know, it was just living life that you had come to have these already and I guess your, your profession as well, being so into yeah. the body and the mind that you sort of already had these tools? Yeah, I think it, it's a combo of both probably. So life experience and then and being through a divorce, yeah. Correct. And then my training for my profession, as you said, and then having some really solid friends, really yeah. solid friends who are also um, occupational therapists. My best mates are, are often who I've met through work or, or uni as well Yeah. who could also give me some really targeted good advice, right? So I think, like you said, the divorce that I went through, I like didn't know how I was going to get through that when I had made up my mind pretty early after getting married that like this wasn't the right place for me to be in um you know and the strategy that I used for that was just like starting small so setting small goals or what's the what's the huge list of barriers I've got in front of me that make this overwhelming right yeah and then just working through bit by bit of what I could control and when I did it was like a little achievement that I celebrated and then got to the next so I knew that like some of those barriers looked too big to climb I got through it I made it and I was okay, right? So I yeah. knew, you know, God will only give me the challenges I can handle and I, I did. So that was the one. The other That's... one was my profession. As you said, so I'm a, an occupational therapist and um, I work in vocational rehab, which is usually about people who've been injured at work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're helping them in like the worst times of their life, right? Where they're up against all sorts of barriers, injury, illness, and it travels over to affecting their family, 
um, and being able to do things that they really love in life. And so with people like that, you're talking constantly about mental resilience and toughness and, you know, what the coaching I would give to people about starting small and setting goals and all the rest of it and yeah. those kind of strategies. Yeah, you've got to take some of your own advice, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's so easy to be like, do as I do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in those moments, I was like, yeah, my I guess my training kind of kicked in. And I was giving Johnny like a lot of coaching as well on the sides. And um, so, yeah, I found it sort of trickling over. And if I started practicing what I was preaching, shit, it actually paid off. So, and then, yeah, my mates as well. So I had a couple of really good mates who I could ring and they don't get swept up in the like grandiosity of the show and they weren't yeah. sort of starstruck by it. And it was like, no kegs, like, remember where you come from. Remember if you come back to the life that you left, you're happy. Like yeah. you cultivated a good spot and a good community. And so worst case scenario is still a good one. So relax, you know, yeah. and awesome. take a breath, take a step back. So yeah, I think it was a combo of the three. Cool. It's so inspiring. So I'm sure there's some people out there who are thinking about not necessarily going on Married at First Sight. Maybe there is. But some people thinking about maybe starting up a, a business or um, wanting, I don't know, wanting to do something a bit scary that they've been thinking about doing but they haven't quite got the courage. What would be your advice to them? I think if you <laughs> it's hard. Uh, let's talk about the business one, right? So if you wanted to do something that you didn't, that you weren't sure that you'd be able to do, I think for me it's about having a plan. So I feel really un, underprepared or, or like, you know, nervous when I don't have a plan. Um, I think it's about committing to like knowing it's going to take hard work and knowing that you can commit to that sort of that goal right so um and then just wanting it bad enough I think if you really really want it you you'll do it you'll find a way yeah um for those who are thinking about going on married at first sight I think (laughs) it's really looking into what your motivations are so at the core of it what what is your motivation right so if it was just to be famous I think that's it's tough. Like you have to, what is it about the fame that you're looking for? Because if it's validation from strangers and notoriety, that bucket never fills. Like yeah. you'll find yourself on Instagram still, what's the next thing? Like, and it will never fill. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's a very, I think, dangerous headspace to be in. Um, not that it's wrong, but I think it did influence also the way people acted on the show. I have to be relevant. I have to be yeah. the most hated or the you know take a stand for women at the consequence of anyone else's sort of yeah yeah reputation and whatnot and I don't always think it it pays off Um, no and then they're not sure whether they're coming or going you know they're not being true to themselves so you know what is their brand who are they what is their character you know it must be so confusing yeah what do you stand for totally yeah and it's not a what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas situation like that's what I wanted to shake some people in there and say like you do realize the end result of this is that that's going to be on TV right yeah it's defining you yeah to tell the truth like a lot of or a few of the people who've cried poor about the edit if they aired it unfiltered like these people might have had to leave the country like there are some things that were said and done when they were in there that I was just like how you've got parents you've got people who care about you like how do you not have any foresight of like the detriment and the consequences that might have for your life after maths like I just don't know how people had you could only see as far as the end of their nose that dinner party that situation that storyline on the show like understand you've got a life to go back to right like 
Like was almost, were they sort of, were they that engrossed in what was happening and that passionate about what they were doing that they almost forgot that the cameras were rolling? I really think so, yeah. Or that in that uh, committed to proving themselves as being right, right? Like yeah. they had to prove their point and, or in their eyes maybe save their reputation by arguing dirty or proving that fact or putting that forward to yeah. the detriment of the person that they're partnered with mm-hmm. or to themselves, like understanding in trying to prove that point or win that argument, like understand that's you, you're assassinating your own character here, you know? Yeah. It's that's not the that's not how I would want to present myself to the world, but each to their own. Mm. So I find that interesting how you're saying, um, you know, it's that void that never gets filled, and that's something that I've had to really work through is the highs and the lows. So setting up a business and being online, things being really exciting and like feeling like amazing from lots of um, from great feedback from. Um, a post or something and getting you know times when there's lots of signups and just feeling so amazing about it and then therefore having a big drop so when things weren't going as well um, or I wasn't getting the same engagement then feeling really low and what I've had to work through is to help me not be low is to not be so high when it's going well so it's like finding this like equilibrium where yeah where you're not up and down all the time yeah has that been something that you've had to adjust to as well yes and no I'm learning to the lows right the lack of engagement things like that instead of taking it personally I'm trying to learn from it yeah so I'm putting a business lens on Instagram to a degree now because it helps me cut the emotion from it right yeah so if something doesn't have good engagement I'm like oh let me learn about this why do I think that is and then I'll sort of cut it down and then talk to Johnny or talk to my management about it and say, interesting that this one didn't, this one didn't do so well. What do you reckon? Like, what was it? So I did a campaign for McCain recently, right? For pizza. Yeah. It's hard to sell boxed pizza. Yeah. And look authentic. I, I love pizza. But how yeah. do you sell that, right? And so I took a risk and I, Johnny, bless him, I got him to dress up in, as like a nonna and I dressed up as like, a, you know, and took that to the absolute extreme to test the waters yeah. and that was a huge risk right and it paid off I had yeah. great engagement so okay that works so it's a sense of humor one right mm-hmm. but then like we talked about my hair tongs where I was pinking all the rest of it not great engagement yeah okay so I could take that so like we said high highs and low don't yeah. get me wrong human like the high highs and the engagement there yeah it makes you feel up and about you like nailed it like people think I'm funny that's great yeah but I also understand it's short-lived, right? Totally. So I'm trying instead to learn from it. So poor engagement doesn't mean poor carry or like not yep. good enough. It just it's means like, how can okay, we learn? Because you learn the most from correct. challenges. Yeah. Yeah. What does my audience want to see? And then adapting my future posts and my strategies and that sort of thing to like what do I think my audience would want to engage with? So it's removing the emotion. I don't need the validation from a bunch of strangers, right? Like I want to create a community where people come there because they know it's going to be supportive and positive. I want to continue to put this message across that if all I'm doing is trying my guts out and trying my best and trying to make you laugh most days, right? And make you feel good. If that makes somebody angry, that's about them. Go find a page that promotes negativity and lets Mm -hmm. you wallow with them, right? That's okay, but you're not going to find that here. And that's why I'm trying to cultivate that audience 
see what they respond to, to keep targeting it for them. And if I can make these people over here enjoy themselves and come have a better day for like sharing in, you know, my self-deprecating piss take of myself most of the time, (laughs) we don't take ourselves too seriously, then all right, like I'm, I'm doing a good job. I feel really lucky to have you as an ambassador of Dedicate for that reason. You know, you're really supportive. Yeah, you're just the right look and feel for my brand. Um, how are you going with Dedicate? I'm really liking it. And I, I love that you've warmed to me as like a like my personality, you know what I mean, and, and why we gel. And that's why when I looked into your page too, we've talked about this, right, but why I felt like we so closely aligned because you are normal, you're so relatable, you're real, and I felt comfortable about being, you know, I could authentically represent your personality, your, your brand, because your yeah. personality and mine, we'd be friends if we, you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. Like this, I still <laughs> yeah. want to be your friend. Yeah. Um, I'm liking it for many reasons. I think during lockdown, it was so good. It, it just took away one of my barriers. Like for me, having to get up and leave the house to go to the gym and then, you know, to have to, for me, like, if I'm honest, then before work is when it's best for me just to get it done in the day, right? Otherwise, I find excuses and get too busy to, to prioritize exercise. But if I went before work and I was going into the office, I had to let myself cool down enough to put makeup on. So I'm like allowing, I had to allow so much time before, mm-hmm. right? And like that traveling to and from the gym was almost the, the, the too hard basket, like enough to tip it in there. Being able to just roll downstairs in whatever I'm wearing and put my hair up on top of my head and press play and, you know, Apple play it to the telly, like it eliminated all of my barriers. So, and then I think having you guys like out in a field or in the snow or, you know, using a chair and stuff that I could just grab around from the house. Again, it just eliminates those mental barriers I'd built up. It's too hard or it's too, I haven't got the, the equipment or it's boring or whatever. It never is like, you guys make me laugh when we do it. It just feels like you're working out with a mate. So it seems like you have a lot of amazing skills and strategies already. Have you had any sort of like life-changing sort of moments or learnings throughout your journey? Yeah, definitely. So um, when I was younger, I lost a friend to cystic fibrosis. So I don't know if you know a lot about CF, but it's a degenerative disease that affects your lungs, right? And so I met um, my mate Daniel when he was, when I was probably like 14 or 15. And it used to be at the start, like a bit of a novelty. So we'd go into hospital with him and he'd do, you know, one one weekend in and six weeks out. And so those weekends in the adolescent ward, we'd go and play pinball and video games and like eat the hospital food and have the time of our lives, right? I slowly watched him over the years go from sort of one weekend in six weeks out to like a week in five out four in you know and then it changed to more time in hospital than out um and to watch someone sort of deteriorate in front of you especially as a young person was super hard and towards the end of his life i remember going into his hospital room when i was probably like yeah 19 or so and just sitting there and saying to him as you do as a naive teenager it's embarrassing to admit now but i said to him like you know, I wanted to lose weight. I was pretty chubby as a, as a teenager. I wanted to lose weight. My hair won't grow. I don't want to know what I want to do when I, you know, leave school and all the rest of it. And I want a tattoo. And I was expecting him to sit there and be like, all right, let's talk it through. Like, you know, he's a, he's a pretty worldly sort of wise sort of fella. And um, he turned around and said, F you, like, get fucked. I said, what do you mean? Like, are you, what an asshole. Like, I just sat here and poured my heart out for the last half an hour. Yeah. He said, everything you just said, you can go and change and how dare you come in here 
when I'm sitting on my deathbed, I can't even walk to my bathroom and brush my teeth. And you're going to sit here and chat and whinge about everything you have the power to go and change. And I left there as a 19-year-old saying, what an asshole that guy is, right? Probably never talked to him yeah. again. Yeah. And then in the next 24 to 48 hours, I sat and thought about everything that he said. And he was right. Like I had the power to change everything that I was wanted, like I was in there whinging about. So after that, I was like, bugger it. It sounds superficial, but I went and got hair extensions. I'd signed up to a gym not knowing what the hell I was doing, but I started losing weight and trying to eat better. Um, I went back to him and said, right, I want to I want to work in the health system. Who's your favorite person in hospital to work with? And he said the occupational therapist because oh, wow. everyone else everyone else comes in the room and said the doctor says you have to take these meds and we have to do these procedures. The nurse says you have to do this. The physio, you have to do these exercise. The OT comes in and says, what do you want to do today? And he gets to do what he wants, right? Oh, so I was like, I don't so want to cool. study OT. And the last thing was that I wanted to go and get a tattoo. So yeah. I got a tattoo. And ironically, like he, poor bugger, um, he died on the waiting list for a second lung transplant when he was in Melbourne. And the last thing I texted him about, I said, bugger you. I went and got my tattoo. Yeah. And he wrote back and said, oh, it's so small. You could have got a real one, right? <laughs> and he, he died two days later. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's not for him, but it reminds me like every day if you hate something, like you've got the power to go and change it, right? And like that has so much meaning behind it to me and it has driven so much of my decision-making, like the power of having that life lesson at 19 years old. Yeah, it's phenomenal. At 29, that's what kicked my ass to leave that marriage because I was like, I know that life's so short and if I get up to heaven and look in my big book of life, I'll be so disappointed if this is what I settled for, right? Yeah. So did you ever um, feel like you couldn't relate sometimes to people your own age, kind of like they hadn't been through, they hadn't learnt this incredible life lesson so you couldn't really relate to their trials and tribulations? Yeah, empathy is like what I pride myself on but even in – healthcare it's really hard I find it really hard sometimes to have empathy for people. I'm like you have the power to change this like yeah. your biggest barrier is yourself and that's something that I do find myself getting really frustrated with and have to like challenge my own like come at it with empathy like understand it's not always that easy to like initiate that change especially if you've got a lot of you know your own mental health stuff going on but yeah it, that it is hard sometimes to, to relate to people I'm like just change it do it do something different then right yeah but I know that, you know, it comes with time and, you know, not everyone's had the same life lesson, I guess. So, yeah, it's not always easy. Yeah, amazing. I'm grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And like, if anything, I live, like, I hope his family and I don't keep in touch a lot. Like from a distance we do and like the same groups of people in that community that I was tight with at that time. Yeah. Like we all wish wish each other like well. It's something that we all went through like a trauma together, right? Yeah. So we're kind of bonded for the rest of our lives. But if anything, like I'd, I'd love to say to his mum one day, like to Nicole, like I hope she knows that he didn't die in vain, like especially for, from my behalf, like he's kicked my ass every day to like do better, go better. If I hate it, go and change it. Like he taught me yeah. that lesson, hey. It's amazing and it's so good that he actually said that those words to you and didn't just like humour you and just go along oh, with. He was mad. Yeah. He was like, how dare you? And as a 19-year-old, I was like, what the heck? That's a massive like, shock, yeah. Like, he's so mean. He's yeah. so mean. And afterwards, I was like, no, nah. he taught me the biggest lesson I ever had in my whole life. Incredible. Yeah, We and we could, but we can all get quite, like, especially as a mother and stuff, you get really busy and involved in what you're doing, even right. if you're not happy. 
often Bloody people hard. can't see a way out because um, shivers would have to change a whole lot here. Mm. Teaching my mom this, like cool. coming yeah. from a circle with a relationship with my mom and yeah. really challenging her to be like, Ma, if it doesn't bring you joy, like bugger it off. You yeah. Know? Oh, it's been so such cool. like a rewarding thing as a kid to give yeah. back to her. And she does now. She's like, doesn't bring me joy. Like Mary Kondo, she like says thank you to it and buggers it off. Awesome. <laughs> Love it. I'm actually quite proud of my mum too. She didn't used to um, exercise much. She was active on, on the farm, but yeah, now she does dedicate and she works out, yeah, so she works out five times a week. And what's been really inspiring about her is she she talks about, so often I'll be there and I'll be like, oh, I've got to get my workout done or I might not do it. She says she knows she's going to do it. She doesn't have any doubt anymore. So even if yeah. it gets to six or seven at night and she's had a busy day, she's not panicked about getting a workout in because she knows that that she'll that she'll do it and she's been doing some runs as well and her body is blimmin sore she's 60 um two or three and she hasn't really run before so she does it just because she thought she used to think she couldn't and that wasn't something she identified with so now she just occasionally even though her body's gonna be sore for days goes for a run for herself she mentally can. because she knows that she legend. can. Yeah, it's really That's cool. That's so good, hey. Mm. It's, so, it's so important for, like, young people too. Like, just do it. You know what I mean? Commit yeah. to it. My mom's a water aerobics instructor. She does the same thing, like, values exercise and, like, loves – she's, like, a performer. She's in, like, theatre groups, community theatre groups. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we used to say, like – So she'll love Johnny. How like, oh, oh, my God. She's always, like, I'm dressing up as Dolly Parton. Like, tell Johnny. <laughs> oh, we're not there yet. Like, no, no. <laughs> one day, mum, one day. She's great. Yeah, yeah. So she, um, yeah, but she, we used to say she was that good at aqua aerobics because she'd have practices yelling at us kids. But like, she, she loves it, eh? Like, stands on the side as a captive audience and like brings yeah. joy to exercise too. Yeah, she's a great role model. Yeah, and thanks for all the grief you give me about my accent. And thanks for not giving me grief today. <laughs> I've kept a lid on it today, all right? Yeah. I figure if I do it too much. I'm a nice person. <laughs> yeah, but you do realise that we think the same about your accent too, right? Well, it's been amazing to chat and yeah, I've, I've learnt so much and um, you've inspired me um, on a few things in terms of, you know, the way to look at things and how we can really, how much control we have over ourselves and what we can do to work on our minds and all that type of stuff. So thank you so much. Thanks, Kate. Yeah, I think that's that's the one, a couple of things I'm really clinging to in, in life at the moment is knowing the value of it and how short it is. Yeah. And knowing I've got to make myself proud before I try and make anyone else proud, right? Like at the end of the day, I'm I'm the one who has to live with my real estate up here. So yeah. making myself proud and, and yeah, doing what I am, that, that's most important. And then the last one is only worrying about the things that I can control. Don't worry, just put mm-hmm. my energy into the things that I can control and, and do my best, Kate. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the Dedicate podcast. To catch all the latest from me, Kate, you can follow me on Instagram at Kate Ivy Fitness. Join our awesome fitness community of thousands of women throughout New Zealand, Australia and the world with your Dedicate two-week free trial at kateivyfitness.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please support us by subscribing, sharing it with others and leaving a rating and review. That's so appreciated. Thank you. Thanks again. I'll catch you next time. Hi, Rita.